Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, church, uh, welcome back to the book of Acts. I I love that last song. It's a sermon and a song. Build my life on the word of God and let him lead us to those uh, around us. In Acts 2, we are about to see an explosion of the gospel uh, beginning with uh, the Jews gathered in Jerusalem who have assembled at the, the sound that they have heard of the Spirit or the sound that they have heard of the gospel being spoken in their own native languages. And where we trailed off last week in verse 13 of Acts chapter 2, uh, we saw people mocking, saying they were, they were drunk. And we saw in, in verse 12, people asking a really good question, what does this mean? And Peter, in the sermon that I'm going to preach today, and in the text we're going to read today, is going to take up those two statements or questions in reverse order. First, he's going to dismiss the mockers, and then he's going to spend the rest of his time explaining what is meant by the coming of the Holy Spirit. I've titled this morning's message, The Last Days Have Come, and on my notes here, it's a bit of a longer title. It's one of those sort of 18th century sort of titles. I don't know if you've ever seen a dissertation that, you know, it's got like five sentences. Uh, unfortunately, this is, this is a long sentence, but this is, uh, this is the sermon in a sentence before we even get started today. Um, maybe you had a long night watching the Braves come back and win, and, and you're going to check out a little early. Um, if that happens to you, we don't want that to happen to you, but if that should happen to you, then, then here's what you need to know, all right? The last days have come. Because Jesus conquered the grave, assumed David's throne, and sent the Holy Spirit. The last days have come because Jesus conquered the grave, he assumed the throne, and he has poured out the Holy Spirit. All right? So last week we, we saw the coming of the Spirit, and now there's, there's the mockers and there's the questions of, of what it means. And that's the situation as we break into. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. All right, hear now the word of God. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, meaning 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. The first, excuse me, the first thing I want you to see from this text this morning, uh, and we will read more text later, but, but for now, let's, let's consider 14 through 21. The, the pouring out of the Spirit on God's people means the last days have come. And if you're sort of programming your attention span, I need you to hang on tight for this first point. It's It's like 75% of the message, and then we're going to go hard the rest of the way, okay? So try to lock in here with me. The pouring out of the Spirit of God on God's people means that the last days have come. Uh, While the early believers are mocked, Peter, who's standing alongside of the 11 other apostles in verse 14, he raises his voice like a good preacher to make an address. And this word address means that he's speaking authoritatively. He's not shooting the breeze. He's not spitballing his answer. He is saying, look, God's explanation here is uh, is full. It's trustworthy. And I'm speaking authoritatively about it. Uh, Peterson says this, Peter's extensive and carefully argued speech, where he's going to quote from Joel 2 and later from other texts, has a prophetic character as much as the Spirit-inspired utterances of the Gospel that have already been heard. In other words, the Holy Spirit is on Peter as he gives this answer. And he tells them, look, the disciples aren't drunk. It's, it's 9 a.m. And, and drunks, they, they get hungover and they wake up late and they get drunk later. So you know what time it is. You know you're talking about cheap wine. They didn't get drunk with cheap wine at 9 a.m. They are not full of wine. What are they full of? They're full of the Holy Spirit. And what is Paul going to tell us in Ephesians 5.18? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. These disciples are living out what Paul's going to command of us later, not to be influenced under the influence of drugs and alcohol and the, the effects of the world, but instead to be controlled and compelled and filled by the Holy Spirit. It's already happening here in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit's come in power not just upon a a few leaders like in the Old Testament, not not just upon a few prophets or a a craftsman to design the tabernacle, but instead the Spirit of God has been poured out on all of God's people. Sons and daughters, young and old, even the servants, even the lowly, which is all of us, right? Is Is it not the highest calling and joy to be compelled and called as a servant of God? All God's people now get the Spirit. Just like Joel said would happen in chapter 2. When the Bible says the Spirit is is poured out on all flesh in verse 17, the meaning of all is qualified by what we read after it. In other words, it doesn't mean lost people now have the Spirit. Now they're going to have the opportunity to hear the Gospel, repent and believe and receive the Spirit. But all flesh means all of those who now belong to God through faith in God's Son. Everybody. So as we, that means if you belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit today. It means you have the presence of God in your life. There's, there's no checklist that you've got to fill out. There's no program. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit changes you and gives you a capacity to relate to God who is Spirit. So as we read this passage, we need to understand that the Spirit's been poured out and, and All those who belong to God through faith in Jesus receive the Spirit. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, verse 21, is saved. And what's interesting about the passage that Luke is quoting from back in 
Joel chapter 2 is that Joel begins this uh, prophecy with the words, after these things. But Luke changes those words to in the last days. And it's, it's really interesting because in Joel chapter 2, right before this prophecy, he's talking about the blessing of Israel. That things are going to go well with Israel and they're going to be prosperous and they're going to be blessed and salvation's going to come and it's going to be amazing. And, and Joel says, after these things have come, then the Spirit's going to be poured out. Which is interesting because we often look to Israel and like, well, those things haven't happened for Israel yet, but in Christ they have. There's life and blessing and prosperity in Christ right now. The king has come and done for Israel what Israel could not do for herself. And there's Israelites gathered in Jerusalem and the Spirit is being poured out because the things that Joel prophesied have come. And now Luke wants us to know we are living in the last days. This is a technical Old Testament phrase. For the, the king of Israel who comes and he is conquering and he is reigning with his people. And this is interesting because a lot of Christians are like, man, I'm looking at the news and what's going on in the world and it seems like the last days are almost here. And I'm like, no, the last days are here. They've been here since Jesus came. The Spirit's been poured out on his church so that you can have power to follow Jesus as king in the world right now. We are in the last days. We don't need to have a conference to figure out if we're in the last days. We don't need to interpret what's going on in Jerusalem or the Middle East to find out if we're in the last days. We are living in the last days. So says the gospel, of, well, Luke, the gospel writer in Acts chapter 2. We're in the last days. The God's saving promises to Israel have reached their climax in the coming of Christ. Because Jesus has been raised, He is now the reigning King for all of God's people. And so what is left for us to do is to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth of, and tell of our saving King. Now that Jesus has conquered the grave and the Spirit has been poured out, we are in the last days. And this, this pouring out of the Spirit which happens in Acts chapter 2, is not a one-time thing, right? We're going to keep reading in Acts, and we're going to see the Gentiles receive the pouring out of the Spirit. Every Christian from the time of Pentecost to today until the time Christ returns is eligible for and receives the pouring out of the Spirit of God. The words poured out in verse 18 capture the intensity and the fullness of with which the Lord is giving us Himself in the pouring out of the Spirit. God doesn't hold anything back when He gives you Himself. Aren't you glad for that? You say, well, sometimes I feel that way. Well, we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin. We can neglect the Holy Spirit by neglecting God's Word, by neglecting prayer, by not getting deeply embedded in a Christian community. But if you know Christ today, God desires to give you Himself. So what does that look like? Well, think about the Old Testament, the glory cloud and the fire of God coming down on the temple. Well, now the Spirit of God who's changed you makes you His temple. He wants you to have that kind of power and joy and fullness in your life. The Spirit is poured out. And when we get the Spirit of God, we get a love like no other. Paul uses this same word in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, because 
God's love. He says we can endure suffering. We can endure heartache. We can endure adversity. How? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit walking with you can be an armor and a guard in the fiercest battle. Now you might be thinking, but, but how, how could I know the love of God? Why would God pour out His Spirit on me such that I might know His love and His power and His presence in my life? You don't know what I've done, Pastor, and I don't. I'm a sinner, I'm unholy, I'm unworthy, I've said and done and thought awful things, and you're right, you have. You are not worthy of anything that we're reading about. You don't deserve anything we're reading about, but God in His lavish mercy and grace is calling out to sinners through the Spirit to believe on Jesus who is worthy, who is holy, who did die to take your place, and He conquered the grave, and He's the risen King, and He poured out the Spirit, listen to this, Titus 3, 5, and 6, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God wants to richly bless you with Himself. That's what you were made for. This pouring out is available today for anyone who will turn from their sin. You'll own it. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy and I'm unrighteous and I've been an enemy of the cross of Christ, but today God has conquered my heart and I'm trusting in Christ. And when that happens, you receive the Spirit of God. You receive a supernatural capacity to know the love of God, to commune with God, to cultivate an understanding of Christ and the Gospel, which enables you, no matter where you came from, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, it enables you to know the truths of the Gospel and to speak them to other people. It doesn't just have to be the pastor sharing the Gospel. Indeed, sometimes it's better that it's not the pastor. It's better coming from a coworker, a friend, or a family member. This, this pouring out of the Spirit was Moses' dream. The prophet Moses is doing all the work. He's running around. He's prophesying. He's telling the truth. He's telling people what it looks like to live a godly life. You remember Joshua, his young protege, who's going to take over after Moses dies. And in Numbers chapter 11, there's a couple of Israelite dudes back in the camp prophesying. And Joshua comes to Moses, he's like, uh, they're doing your job, man. They're, they're prophesying in the camp. And Moses is like, if they're speaking the truth of God, God be praised. And then he says this, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Moses' dream has come true at Pentecost. The Spirit has come upon the people of God so that they can speak the truth of God to the people of God and to those who are far from God such that they could become the people of God. So that they could edify the church and they could build the kingdom in the preaching of the gospel. Let me tell you what we need in 2021 like nothing else. We need people who know the gospel well and they know people well and they know how to put those two things together. And I don't just mean so that people would get saved. I also mean it so that people would get edified. There are people... In this room, your marriage is fracturing and breaking, and you need Christians to come alongside of you, other than the pastor, because the pastor, just like you, has 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You need a couple that will come and speak truth into your life. They'll tell you, this is what God's Word says, and the moment you go, yeah, but you don't understand, this is my situation, you don't know me and my husband, and I'll say, no, I don't, but I know what God's Word says, and I know the power that the Spirit gives in this situation. So let's believe God rather than your 
momentary emotional fit. That wasn't in the notes, but listen, in our finances, in our finances, we got people who are, are coming to church, they, they say they're believers, and they never get started with generous giving. They never even begin. They go five years and like, well, I, once I get three more raises, then I'll give. No, you won't. It's never enough. It's like having a baby. Well, we'll have a child once we have enough money in the bank. You'll never have a baby. There's not enough money in the world to have a child. There's just not. Much less two. What are y'all doing to me? You know what you need in your life? You need a brother or sister who will challenge you and say, you know what, I, I lived that life. I, I lived that life where I thought I could have all the promises and blessings of Jesus and hoard them to myself and, and never let them flow through my hand in generosity. But then God convicted me in Matthew chapter 6 that where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And I, what I found was I was trying to treasure the world and then I couldn't figure out why I didn't have a heart for God. I couldn't figure out why I didn't know the love of God shining in my life. It's because I was trying to live a double life. And I'm giving you my personal testimony right here this morning. I was trying to hang on to the treasures of the world and, and have all the goodies of Jesus. But when I really let go of the treasures of the world and I put all my treasure in the Jesus basket, man, the freedom and the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, it was radical. You need people other than the pastor who are willing to speak that truth into your life. And you can do that because the Holy Spirit has come not just on the preacher, but on all y'all who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. Now, as we continue reading in the New Testament, we learn that the, the pouring out of the Spirit on all of God's people doesn't mean that God doesn't have special roles or assignments for people in His church. He has pastors who are called and gifted and equipped to, to lead churches and equip the saints for the work of the ministries and the the apostles, the apostles are going to safeguard their witness to Christ by authoritatively recording it in Scripture. You don't get to write Scripture just because you have the Holy Spirit. Prophesying, as the, as the Scriptures describe it, is going to close, in a sense, with the era of the apostles. But truth declaring in the lives of men and women who know Jesus and those who know to, need to know Jesus... It continues through the lives of Spirit-empowered apostles. Excuse me, disciples. So, the Spirit comes upon all believers. And all believers, even servants, which would be us, have a vital role in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Every, every true son or daughter of God has been given the Spirit and, and has a responsibility to speak that truth. And I want to tell you... Uh, something that stood out to me from verse 17. Joel says at the end of verse 17, Luke quoting Joel here, that the old men will dream dreams. Do you see that in the text? I want to, I want to be sure you see it. The old men will dream dreams. Old people aren't supposed to dream dreams. Life's almost over. Why, why would old people dream dreams? You, know, you say, Pastor, you're meddling. You're getting ugly. I, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just being for real. Is this not amazing that old people, when the Spirit comes, old people are going to dream? Not, not about the good old days. What are they dreaming about? 
They're dreaming about the advance of the kingdom. They're dreaming about the gospel going forward in power. Why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if Jesus has been raised from the dead, old people, though they die, they will live again. And so what they're pouring their life into, even with their last dying breath, is not the good old days. It's not all the stuff that they love. They're pouring their life out for the sake of the gospel and the glory of the king. And as they die, they have a vision of King Jesus being magnified in Roanoke across Virginia and around the world because the Spirit of God is working still in their life that they might dream gospel dreams. Let me tell you, when North Roanoke will be revived and where the church of God in the Roanoke Valley will be revived, it's when old people dream dreams again. When they dream gospel dreams. When they release things for the glory of God. Look what God's going to do in Roanoke when old people dream dreams. It's pouring out as available to every blood-bought child of God. In verse 19, there's some debate as to whether the, the wonders in the heavens and the signs on earth are wonders and signs that have already happened with the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, or if they are signs that will come at the glorious return of Christ. But in either way, the day of the Lord is coming. The Spirit has been poured out, and Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming in wrath against all who have rejected him. The day of the Lord is the day he judges the nations, Joel chapter 3. It is the day that Paul calls the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the day of our Lord Jesus. It's the day of Christ Jesus or the day of Christ. It's a day when everyone will know and everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, but only those who have called upon the name of the Lord before he comes will be saved. For everyone else, it will be far too late. We are living between the times, church. The time of the Spirit being poured out and the time of Jesus' coming again, which means everyone's urgent need is to call upon the name of the Lord before the day of the Lord. So what should we be doing in light of what we've just read? We must tell others. We must urge others. We must compel others to call upon the name of the Lord. Now you've got to think about the audience there in Jerusalem, right? These are Jewish people and Jewish converts, proselytes. They're like, what do you mean call upon the name of the Lord? I know Yahweh. I read about Yahweh in the Old Testament and I'm trying to follow Yahweh. So what do you mean I need to call upon the name of the Lord? And so the implied question between verse 21 and verse 22 is this. Who is the Lord? And Peter's going to answer that question beginning in verse 22. Let's, let's hear the word of God together. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. In other words, you were around, you saw it, you saw what Jesus did, as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Let me say that again. God raised them up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Here's what Peter is saying. The Spirit has come, 
at Pentecost because Jesus has been raised from the dead, and as we'll see in a moment, just as David promised. You see, what is necessary for the Spirit to save people has happened because Jesus has come and substituted His life for the lives of sinners. And now the Spirit can go forward in power, applying what Jesus did on the cross to the lives of all who call upon Jesus, who is the Lord. The multitudes asked about the the meaning of the events surrounding the Spirit's coming. And where where does Peter take them? This is so interesting to me. He goes to Joel 2, and then as soon as he's done with Joel 2, he goes, if you want to understand what you're experiencing and what's happening, you've got to know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We don't read anything else about the Spirit. He suddenly takes us to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, which is a prerequisite for the sending of, a, of the Spirit. Does everybody know what a prerequisite is? Like you've got to pass English 1 before you can take English 2. Right? So, you got to, for the Spirit to come and apply God's salvation to sinners, Jesus had to come and accomplish what was necessary through His life, death, and resurrection to a, for the Spirit to apply His salvation to sinners' hearts. Peter wants these men of Israel, verse 22, to understand that none of what they're experiencing could have happened apart from Jesus. He keeps stressing the the Jewish roots of the church because he wants us to see that God keeps his promises to Israel through the Jewish beginnings of his church. Peter tells these men of Israel that the Jesus of whom he speaks is not unknown to them. They they knew this Jesus. They, they, They knew full well who Peter was talking about. Not just any Jesus but the Jesus who had done signs and wonders, the one who had given sight to the blind and mobility to the lame, the Jesus who spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed Him, the one who raised the dead to life. Peter is talking about a particular Jesus. Do you see that in verse 22? It was the Jesus who was attested to them by God. The word attested means to show off. To put forth. Did you know the father is very pleased with his son? My, my son yesterday ran a, a mile uh, in 7 minutes and 31 seconds. And he started the season running it in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Which was 3 months ago. And when he crossed the finish line in 7.31, I was beaming from ear to ear. So proud. So excited. The word attested here, to put forth, to show off, or to exhibit is the meaning. In other words, God was like, look at my son. Behold my son. I've done everything you can see or know to know how great my son is. All these things signified God's approval of Jesus as as Israel's promised and anointed king. But what did Israel do? They rejected him. This Jesus that I did everything to show you how amazing He is, what would you do? You killed Him. And the question that's implied is this, how could that Jesus be the King of Israel and the King of glory if He died on a cruel Roman cross? What do you mean the Spirit's come because Jesus was attested by God? That doesn't make any sense. And here's Peter's answer in verse 23. God knew full well that His Son was going to have to die. It was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He knew that the 
Son of God would suffer. And this plan has always been in the mind of God. The only way for the curse of death to be removed and Israel and all those who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, the only way for death to be removed was for God to send His Son to die and remove it for us through the resurrection. The word foreknowledge is another way of saying that that God determined the events in advance according to His plan. And yet, while the crucifixion was God's plan, many in this crowd nevertheless were guilty of His death. When the religious leaders handed Him over to Roman authorities, many in this crowd were there shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Less than two months earlier. And yet, though it was according to God's plan, they were guilty. They were guilty of desiring the death of their king. And yet Peter has some very good news. Their sinful rejection of Jesus did not win the day. Although they killed their king, their king will now reign over death. How is that possible? Look at verse 24. God raised him up. God didn't leave Jesus for dead, bound by the pangs of death. That word pangs means birth pangs. We've had a lot of ladies in our congregation who are going to be experiencing some birth pangs pretty soon. We'll be praying for you. The good news about birth pangs is that they end in life. You go through a trial, you go through pain, and it's hard, and it's full of adversity, but it ends in joy and life. But the pangs of death are like birth pangs, but what do they end in? They end in death, the cessation of life, separation, if we don't know Christ, from the presence of God. And yet Jesus came and He loosed us from the pangs of death. He loosed us from death being a painful and traumatic experience. Why? Because it wasn't possible for Jesus to be held by death. Why is that? Well, one, because Jesus is God in the flesh. And two, because He is the Messiah, There is no other substitute king. Jesus is the king. He is the son of David who's supposed to reign on an everlasting throne, which means if Jesus died, God will see to it that his son will be king, which means he has to be raised as king. The only way, once Jesus was killed on the cross, the only way for God's plan to prevail was for God to raise him up. And that's exactly what God did. And if we keep reading in verses 25 through 32, what Peter wants us to see next is you should have known this. That's exactly what David said was going to happen. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 29. Now verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set apart one of his descendants on the throne... He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. There's a lot going on in these verses. I want to be real brief and summarize. Here's what Peter's saying. When David wrote Psalm 16, he was not writing about himself. He was writing about Jesus. How do we know that? Because David died. And he was buried. And his body did see decay. He says that as delicately as he can in verse 29. He's like, y'all know where his tomb is? And if y'all were to open up that tomb and look in there, it wouldn't look too good. Right? His body's decayed. But, but Jesus is the one that David was telling you to look for. He is the descendant who was promised in 2 Samuel 7 who is going to come and conquer death. And David captures the voice of Jesus like a prophet and tells us that it was going to happen. In other words, the Jesus that you crucified is the king that you should have been looking for. You should have been looking for Jesus. And here's the good news. Because He's been raised from the dead and He's poured out His Spirit, you can conquer death like Jesus did by faith in Him. He has poured out His Spirit to join us to Himself and empower us to follow Him in His mission to the ends of the earth. Verse 32, this Jesus, the Jesus that was attested to you by God, The Jesus that you rejected and handed over to be crucified. The Jesus that was prophesied by David. God raised him up and we are all, that's emphatic in the text, all of us are witnesses to this truth. Church, this is remarkable. Fifty days after Jesus was crucified, in the city where Jesus was crucified, we find Peter proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, do you think these 3,000 people who are going to hear the gospel and believe in next week's sermon, do you think that they would have believed on Jesus if they could have walked down and found Jesus? Of course not. He's proclaiming Jesus conquered the grave. The resurrection is not something that the church came up with over time. It's not some fancy theory that emerged over centuries like liberal scholars want you to believe at UNC and other places. The resurrection of Christ is proclaimed from the very beginning of the church. If you don't believe that Christ conquered the grave, you're not a Christian. There's no church without resurrection power, but because Christ came and conquered death and He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, He has poured out the Spirit such that we can be united to Christ. And when He comes again, He'll raise you up on the last day. When Christ was raised, the final thing Peter wants us to know is that He was vindicated. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted, That's the language of the installment of a king. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain That God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. The last thing I want you to hear this morning is this. The outpouring of the Spirit proves that Jesus is Lord and King. The outpouring of the Spirit proves that Jesus is Lord 
and king. In verse 33, Peter wants the multitude who's listening to understand they can't separate what they're seeing and hearing in terms of the work of the Spirit at Pentecost from Jesus and what He's accomplished. The risen Jesus has been exalted as King of all. Philippians 2.9, Paul says it this way, God has highly exalted Him. And He is the approved King. He is the anointed King. He has received the promise of the Spirit that he talked about in Acts chapter 1. And from the Father, he's received the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, and together they have poured him out, the Spirit of God, to lead his redeeming work in the world. Which means that Jesus right now is ascended to the right hand of the Father, reigning in full agreement with him. How? Through the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that? Because Peter, who quotes from a Davidic psalm once again, Psalm chapter 110, verse 1, he tells us this, look, David never ascended to the heavens to sit at the Father's right hand. You know this because he's sitting in the the tomb that I just told you about, or laying in the tomb that I just told you about. David never went to the heavens to sit at the Father's right hand, but who is this son of David that he calls his Lord, who is with the Lord? It is the descendant of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how David's son and Israel's king is now ruling the nations. He comes, he conquers the grave, he ascends to the right hand of the Father as David promised, and he pours out the Spirit to apply the work of God to the hearts of his people. And then what does David say? What does Peter say in verse 36? Let all the house of Israel know therefore And may we know as well. All those who are united and joined to the family of God and the people of God through faith in Christ. May we know what? May we know for certain that God has made Him. Who's Him? Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Yahweh. When we sing hallelujah, we are singing about the work that Jesus has accomplished. And He is Christ. He is God's anointed King. Yes, Peter would say to them, you crucified him. And the reality is, we did as well, did we not? Our sin was the need for a Savior to come. Jesus was there on the cross because of their sin, and because of my sin, and because of your sin. And Peter says, these these piercing lines, that that they have crucified the, the King of glory. He tells them this, To let them know that He's risen and He's poured out the Spirit. And if you can hear this message today, if you could have heard Peter's message in that day, there was still time to repent. There was still time to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus forgives even those who crucify Him if they will come to Him in faith. He has poured out His Spirit. And if you will obey His voice... If you will hear His call to salvation and not put Him off, not rationalize all your objections, if you will call out to Jesus today and follow Him as King, you can call upon Him and be saved. Church, there's a lot of people within a mile of this building who haven't heard that message. There's a lot of people within three miles and five miles and ten miles of this building who've not heard that message If you know Jesus, 
Will you call upon others to call upon the name of the Lord who is the risen Christ? If you won't, who will? For we are living in the last days. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I pray that you would save to the uttermost today. Peter, uh, Peter takes us to seminary today and helps us to understand the connection between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand and the pouring out of the Spirit. God, He helps us to see that it was necessary that one who is perfect would take our place. That one who is perfect would offer Himself as a substitute for our sin. And God, because the sacrifice has been made, all, all that is needed to access it is to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. All that is needed is to, to trust in Jesus. And God, you, you meet us in, in power. You meet us in, in pouring Yourself out in love. And God, I know in this room that there are people who they know the facts of the gospel, but they have not encountered the Spirit of God in power because they've not turned from their sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, in this room today that you would save someone. I pray that online and in the gym that you would save someone. And God, for those who do know you, but maybe, maybe we've been grieving the Spirit by, by living a, a double life for a season, not really concerning ourselves with sharing the gospel and, and living wholeheartedly for you. God, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit in a fresh way. And that you would move mightily among your people for the glory of Christ our King. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.